As we saw in the previous couple of Mishnayas, the concept of Chazaka means that the status of a person or an item is presumed to remain the same as it has been until now, unless proven otherwise. And because of that, if a woman goes with her husband abroad and they have no children at that time, and as well as that, the husband has no brothers, so there's no potential Yovam, which means that if the husband would die now, then his wife would be able to remarry without receiving Yimmu Chalitza, since there's no one who is able to do Yimmu Chalitza with her. Be as it may, she goes with her husband abroad and then she comes back to Beistin and she claims that Nitan li Yovam bim dina sayom, a Yovam was given for me whilst we were abroad, meaning she is claiming that her mother-in-law gave birth to another child, another son, such that now there is a Yovam who is able to perform Yibum. And then she continues to say, Omra, she says, Meis Bali, my husband died, v'achakach meis Yivomi. And then my Yovam died, my husband's brother. Or if she says, Yivomi, my Yovam died, v'achakach Bali, and then my husband died. In either case, right now, is there anybody who is able to perform Yibum Chalitza? No. So she would be able to remarry, according to her claim, she would be able to remarry without receiving Yibum Chalitza. And that fits perfectly with her Chazaka. Her Chazaka also said that she has no Yovam and is therefore able to remarry immediately. And so Ne'emenes she has believed since her claim matches up with her Chazaka. Now what happens if She went abroad together with her husband and her Yovam. And they have no children at the moment. So at the Chazaka states that if the husband dies, she will require Chalitza or Yibum. Because the husband does have a brother. So if she comes back to Beistin and Omra, she says, My husband died and then my Yovam died. Or if she says, My Yovam died and then my husband died. In this case, she is not believed because according to her claim, there is no one who is able to perform Yimmochalitza. She might be claiming this because she doesn't like the Yovam, so she just doesn't want to marry him. The point is that her claim does not match up with her Chazaka. So she is not believed, so until she receives Chalitza, she won't be able to remarry. So if indeed the Yovam doesn't return, she will not be able to remarry. She is believed that her husband died because of Takonas Agunais, in order to allow her to remarry, so we're lenient when it comes to believing her about her husband. And also because if she remarries another man while her husband is still alive, then we saw in Perik Yud many punishments and severe consequences in a case where he would return. And because of those two reasons, we are pretty much sure that she's not going to lie. However, all of that only helps to believe her that her husband died. But we have no reason to believe that her Yovam also died, and since it does not match up with her Chazaka, we do not believe her. And now the Mishnah sums up a lot of what we have seen over the past couple of Mishnayas, and adds a couple of laws which are based on the same principles. A woman is never believed to say that my Yovam died in order to, in order to allow her to remarry without receiving Chalitza. She's also not believed to say that my sister died in order to be able to marry her sister's husband. One is allowed to marry two sisters, but only once the first one has died. Then you can marry her sister. So let's say Ruben is married to Rachel, and Rachel has a sister called Leah. Leah would not be able, she would not be believed to say that her sister Rachel died, which would allow her to get married to Ruvain. And as well as that, a man would not be believed to say, my brother died, in order to allow him to do Yibum with his brother's wife, to marry her. If let's say he likes her, he might make that lie up. He also is not believed to say that my wife died, which would allow him to marry his wife's sister. 
And the truth is, we pretty much never believe just one witness. Especially if he is affected by the testimony which he is giving, and he gains an advantage from it. There's only one exception, that a woman is able to say that her husband died. Or anyone is able to say that a particular man died in order to allow his wife to remarry. That's known as Takonas Agunais. But in all other cases, we have the regular law that we require two witnesses who are valid witnesses, they are male, and they are not affected by the testimony. They are required in order to establish the fact of that person's death. But otherwise, we would definitely not believe just one witness, especially if they are affected and it would lead to an advantage for their sake. The final parak of the Masechta continues the theme of the previous parak, and the Mishnah tells us that If a woman's husband and her tsara, so another wife married to the same man, they go abroad, whereas she stays here. And at the time that they go, the man has no children, and he does have a brother, which means that the Chazaka would dictate that there is an obligation of Yibum if he would die. And later on, Uvov Amrullah, witnesses came and told this woman, Miss Balich, your husband died. So according to the Chazaka, she is now Shemaris Yavon, who should be able to do Yibum or Chalitza, as in a regular case. However, the Mishnah says, Leitenase, she may not remarry. This is referring to a regular marriage, which is not a Yibba marriage. So that is certainly true. Since she has a Chazaka, that she is a Yivoma, Shemaris Yavam, she can't just get married to somebody else without receiving him Mochalitza. But the Mishnah adds, Leitis Yabim, she also cannot do Yibum. Until she finds out, until she knows perhaps her Tsara was pregnant and she gave birth or will give birth to a child, which would mean that there wouldn't be an obligation of Yibum, and when there's no obligation of Yibum, it is indeed forbidden to perform Yibum. So right now there is a doubt whether there's an obligation of Yibum or not, and so she cannot perform Yibum yet. The obvious question is, why can't she just do Chalitza? We have seen several cases throughout the Masechta, where in cases of doubt, there's a simple solution, you do Chalitza, and then she's free to marry anybody else. The Gemara explains that we are concerned that she'll do Chalitza, and the halacha is that a chalutza is forbidden to marry a koyen, midrabonon. So she might do chalutza, and then her tzorah will come back from abroad, and she'll find out that her tzorah did have a child, and therefore there was no obligation of yimu chalitza, which means that the chalitza which she did was not actually considered chalitza. And so she is permitted to marry a koyen. So she'll go and marry a koyen, and other people won't necessarily know that her tsara came back and she had had children. They won't calculate all of this. All that they'll see is that she performed chalitza and then went and married a koyen. So they might be led to think that it's permitted for every type of chalutza to marry a koyen. But that is indeed forbidden Majabonon. So to prevent people thinking that, she may also not do chalitza. Alright, now the second half of this mission discusses a different case, where a woman's husband dies without children, and for all they know, there is also no brother of the husband. There's no Yavam. So although there's no children, so there should be an obligation of Yibum, since there is no brother to perform Yibum or Chalitza, there is no obligation of Yibum or Chalitza. However, in this case, she had a mother-in-law who was abroad, and they hadn't seen her for a while, and there is a possibility that the mother-in-law gave birth to a son, in which case there is a Yavam, and so there is an obligation of Yibum, which means that this woman would be forbidden to remarry somebody else before this Yavam comes back and performs Yibum or Chalitza with her. The question is, do we need to be concerned that she gave birth to a Yavam? So in the previous case, we were concerned that the Tzara gave birth. 
And that's why the woman couldn't perform Yibum. But in this case, the Mishnah says, she does not need to be concerned. The reason for this difference is quite simple. That in the previous case, it doesn't matter what type of child she would have. It could be a boy, it could be a girl. If the Torah had any child, then there is no obligation of Yibum. In our case, however, even if the mother-in-law does end up giving birth, it could be she'll give birth to a daughter, in which case there will still be no Yovom to perform Yibum. As well as that, she could give birth to a stillborn. She could miscarry. So there is a majority chance, even if she does give birth, that she won't give birth to a Yovom. Because it could be a girl and it, she could miscarry. And therefore one does not need to be concerned that a Yovom was born. However, Yotsamalea, if the mother-in-law went abroad while she was already pregnant, so now there is definitely an assumption that she will give birth and that she has given birth. Now the only question is, what type of child did she give birth to? So in this case, the Tanakama says that Chesheshes, the woman who is left over here, who is possibly a Shemeres Yovam or not, she does need to be concerned that there is a Yovam, because it's assumed that since she was pregnant, she did give birth. And even though, technically speaking, there's a majority chance that a Yovam was not born, because it could have been a girl, and she could have miscarried. Nevertheless, because the chances of her miscarrying are so small, we don't even consider that possibility. So we're left with only two possibilities, and it's a 50-50, so we say Sveikah the Reis that in the case of an equal doubt, of half-half, we go stringently when it comes to prohibitions mid the However, Rabbi Yeshua says, She does not need to be concerned and she may remarry anybody. She doesn't need to wait for this possible Yovam to come back and perform Chalitza or do Yibum. Because Rabbi Yeshua says, at the end of the day, there is this small possibility of her miscarrying. Which means that overall, there is a less than half chance that she gave birth to a male child who survived and is a Yovam. And therefore, according to Rabbi Yeshua, she does not need to be concerned, and she may get married to somebody else. Mr. Bates, although in general, if somebody comes and says that a man died, then that single witness is believed in order for that woman to be able to remarry. The mission in the previous parak listed five women who are related to her by marriage, who are not believed in such a case because they don't necessarily have a positive relationship with this woman, so they might be making up the story in order that she go and marry somebody else. And then when her husband comes back, she'll have a long list of severe consequences which were listed in the 10th parak, and one of those are that she will need to be divorced from her husband. Now one of the women on the list was one's husband's brother's wife one's husband's potential Yavoma, and since it's her husband's potential Yavoma in the future, if her husband's brother dies, so in the future they might be Tsorais, and because of that they already have a negative relationship towards each other, just like two wives of the same husband. So says the Mishnah, Shtei Yavomais, two Yavomais, that means that they are each other's husband's brother's wife. So let's say you've got Reuben and Shimon who are married to two wives, Hannah and Miriam. So we're talking about Hannah and Miriam. Zoyameris meis Bali. This woman, Hannah, says that my husband Reuben died. Zoyameris. And this woman, Miriam, says that meis Bali, my husband Shimon died. Now in terms of themselves, they are believed that their husband died. However, the testimony of Miriam is considered irrelevant concerning Hannah. And the testimony of Hannah is considered irrelevant concerning Miriam. And therefore, if we look at each one, let's look at Chana for now. We believe Chana that Reuven died. However, concerning Chana's laws, we do not believe Miriam's testimony that Shimon died. 
And therefore we assume that Shimon is still alive and he needs to perform Yibam Chalitza with Chana. And so the Mishnah says, This one Chana is forbidden to remarry because of the husband of the other woman, Miriam, because she needs to assume that Shimon is still alive. So she can't just go and marry somebody else before she receives Chalitza or Yibam from Shimon. And the same goes the other way around. Miriam would be forbidden because of the husband of Chana, that she needs to assume that Reuven is still alive and that he needs to perform Yibam Chalitza with her. Now what happens if Lozoi Edem, Chana has witnesses that say that her husband Reuven died. But Miriam ain't Edem, she does not have any witnesses. Asura. The one who has witnesses, Chana, is forbidden to remarry because the testimony of Miriam that Shimon died is not believed and Miriam has no witnesses, which means that Chana needs to assume that Shimon is still alive and that she is a Zekuka, she has a Zika towards Shimon, so cannot marry anybody else until she receives Yibam Chalitza. But the woman who does not have witnesses, Miriam, Muteres, she is permitted to marry anybody else without receiving Yibam Chalitza since she can rely on the witnesses the other witnesses who say that Ruvain is dead. So for all that she's concerned, she does not have a Yovam. Alright, Lozoi Bonim or Lozoi Bonim. If one of them, Chano, has children from Ruvain, Lozoi Ein Bonim, but Miriam, the other one, does not have children. Es Bonim, Chano, who does have children, Muteres, is permitted to remarry, because either way, she definitely doesn't have an obligation of Yibum. So the only testimony we need is that her husband is dead, and she is certainly believed about that. But the woman who does not have children, Miriam Asura, she is forbidden. We're talking about a case where there are no other witnesses involved. So she cannot trust the testimony of Chana, and therefore she must assume that Ruvain is still alive, and that she has a zikah towards him. Now what happens if we return to our original case, where neither of them have children, and neither of them have other witnesses? They would both be forbidden to marry anybody else. They need to assume that their Yovam is still alive. But what about a case where there is another brother? Well, let's say there's two other brothers, Levi and Yehuda, and they are around, so there's no problem with them performing Yibum. And because concerning Chana and Miriam, each one of them we believe about their husbands, but not about their Yovam. So if we look at each of them individually, they have a Zika and they are obligated to do Yibum Chalitza. And indeed, this Yabmu, if both Chana and Miriam did Yibum, with Levi and Yehuda, and then Umeisa Yovamin, Levi and Yehuda died, so they should now each have a Zika towards the other Yavam. Chana should have a Zika towards Shimon, and Miriam should have a Zika towards Ruvain. And therefore, Asuras not say they are again forbidden to marry anybody else, because they need to assume that Ruven and Shimon, each one's Yavam, is still alive, since the testimony of the other woman is not believed concerning them. However, Rabbi Lozor, Rabbi Lozor says, since they were permitted to the other Yavomim, Levi and Yehuda, which means that we believed each of them about their own husbands, and they both went ahead and performed Yibum. Now, if one of them was lying, and their husband was still alive, then by them performing Yibum with their husband's brother, that's a very severe Aveira. And when the husband comes back, she will have to separate from both of them. We can see that she herself is acting according to her own testimony that her husband is dead. So once we have seen that, when it comes to the next stage that Levi and Yehuda die, they are permitted to marry anybody, and at this stage they can now assume that both Reuven and Shimon are dead, since we see that their respective wives did act according to their testimony. Now the Tanakama still argues with Rabbi Elazar, because he is concerned that they have such a bad relationship that she would be willing to commit an Aveira herself, and to put herself through a bad situation in order to ruin things for the, tzot, for the sister-in-law. 
And therefore, the fact that she did Yibum is not a proof. And once Levi and Yehuda die, according to the Tanakama, she would be forbidden to marry anybody else because she needs to assume that she has a Zika to her Yavam. Mishnah Gimel, the remaining Mishnahis, pretty much for the rest of the Masechta, discuss the testimony about someone who died, and what are the criteria necessary for one to give testimony that somebody died. In the Eden, one is not able to testify about somebody's death, unless he saw their face together with his nose. That is enough for one to be able to recognize him properly. And that would include seeing his cheeks and his forehead, the main parts of his face, the face itself, not necessarily the eyes and the mouth, but the skin itself of the face. He must have seen that in order to testify that it is him. Even if there are other signs on his body, for example, his height or the kalov, or on his clothes, if somebody recognized his clothes, he can't come to Basin and say that he died, because it could be that that person lent his clothes out to somebody else. There isn't absolute proof that it is him who died. Continues the Mishnah, One can only testify that that person died if he saw their soul go out, meaning he saw them once they had actually died fully. Even if he saw him cut up with solov or hanging, or an animal was eating at his flesh, if he was still alive, then there's always a possibility that he did survive in the end, and so one cannot testify in Basin that that person died. The truth is, the Gemara explains if the animal was eating one of his major organs, then it would be enough to testify. But in a general case, that isn't enough, and one would have to see him actually dead in order to testify to that fact. As well as this, one can only testify that he saw this person dead if he saw him within three days of his death. However, after that, he has decomposed enough that his features are not recognizable fully, and one cannot tell for sure that it is him. However, Rabbi Yehuda Ben Bava says, Not every person and not every place and not every time is the same, and the time that it takes for the body to decompose and for his facial features to not be recognizable anymore, that varies in every situation. It depends how hot it is, how cold it is, how fat the person was, and so we cannot give a fixed time of three days. The basin would have to judge whether his features are still recognizable based on the situation. However, according to the Tanakama, using the average time of three days is sufficient.